I'm glad everybody made it through, uh, through the trial that is the rain. Um, I thought it was very uh, fitting that it would be pouring down rain as we go through parables that are concerning uh, agriculture. Uh, but, but that got me thinking um, with this downpour and how inconvenienced we are and the trial or whatever that we think we're going through because of the rain. All throughout history, you think about the number one thing prayed for, and it's probably been rain. You think about all the farmers and, and the folks that where their lives or communities depended on, countries depended on rain, seasons of drought and dry times. Um, so we have to be careful what, when we see as something being our, our uh, trial or whatever, the Lord's using that to bless somebody else. So rem- we just need to remember that all things are f- for the Lord and through the Lord. So before we get into um, the parables in, in Matthew 13, let's just go ahead and, and uh, go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, just, uh, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for these lessons, Lord. We're reminded in, in these parables, Lord, that you taught in parables because you love us, Lord. So uh, help us with, with, your, with your teachings, Lord. Um, we pray that it's your words and your will, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I just want to share from, um, I just want to share a couple pieces uh, before we get into um, Matthew 13, 23, or 24 and on, where, where we left off last week. I want to show, show, share a couple verses that kind of demonstrate why Jesus uh, is taught in parables. And in Matthew 23, 13, Jesus condemned scribes and Pharisees for keeping people out of the kingdom of heaven. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying. And then in Matthew, and previously in Matthew 12, 46 through 50, it reads, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside, seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and brothers are standing outside, seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards the dis- his disciples and said, here are my mo- mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I think the important thing to remember is that everybody was important to Jesus. He, he desired not one be lost. And so as we go forward and, 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 and reading the parables, we have to remember why he taught in parables, because he wanted everybody to know what, what he was teaching about. So let's go ahead and start in uh, Matthew 13, 24 through 30. And this is the, the parable of wheat and tares. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among them, among the wheat, and went his way. And when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, do you not know, or do you not sow good seed in your field? And how then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to then go, then to go and gather them up? But he said, "No, lest while you gather the, up the tares, you also root the root the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, 
I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. When I read through this one, the first thing is I instantly identified with um, the servants. I just wanted to go in there and just make it right. I just wanted to go and rip out the tares and, and you know, get rid of the, the sin or the, the, the thing that's wrong. And that's kind of sometimes we like to do is just go through and, and, and handle things our way. But there's wisdom to just waiting and, and seeking after the, the will of the Lord. And the, the great thing about um, this parable in particular is Jesus goes into great detail in explaining this parable. So I want to read what Jesus explains about it first because, you know, newsflash, he's right. And anything I say is just, you know, is, is, is at best very minimum. So he's right, and I want to make sure we read what he has to say about this one first. So if we're going we're to skip over to 36 through 43. And then we're going to read that real quick. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom, all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be a wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The tares are, are, represent the, the enemies of this world. And, and sometimes, you know, we, or the, sometimes the things that are hard, and those are trials. And our, the trials in our lives often, you know, you know if we're listening and, hearing and seeking after the Lord's heart, will often improve us, right? Improve us for, for, his, uh, for his glory. Um, anything worth doing, you probably hear the saying, anything worth doing is uh, worth, worth doing well. And, and it also comes with a lot of work. And I, a lot of analogies I use is when I'm, when I'm talk, speaking to my students in sports and stuff, whatnot, you know, you're not going to get better at sitting on the couch. You know, if you want to be a better soccer player, basketball player, whatever, you're not going to get better by sitting on the couch on your phone, swiping through video shorts, eating Pop-Tarts and Starbucks. You have to go out there and you have to apply yourself and, you know, find your limits and try to go beyond those. That's the only way we get better. Well, that's, that's kind of what the, 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 what the parable here is, is saying. If they were to pull the tares out, they would pull the, 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 the wheat out before they were bearing fruit. And the, the, the wheat are going to be in there coexisting with the tares. And they're going to have to grow there and, and, and go through the adversity, but they have to come to the full age before they can bear fruit. And the other part of this is I want to think about what is an enemy? Think about what is an enemy? You know, I, I think of enemies in our lives, you know, it might be the person, that co-worker or the neighbor that's constantly causing heartache and discontent, um, that's causing you strife. Um, you know, it always seems to come after you and, you know, and, and we might be trying to be, you know, a good, you know, a biblical neighbor, but they just to no ends, they're, they're you know, they're, they're coming after you. What does a victory against a person look like? What does a victory against a person like that look like? 
uh, removal from your HOA or, or, or death. I mean, what, what, kind of, wait, what, are we, what kind of victory are we looking over an enemy of ours? How about this? God allows us to go through trials so that you can grow in faith and grace. We learn to lean, learn on, um, learn to lean on the Lord. For the Lord to have victory over the enemy by means by working through you to share the gospel. To return one of the Lord's lost sheep. Well, what if your neighbor is also a believer and that you, you're just not getting along? Well, maybe he's working on both of you to learn how to grow in faith and grace. I think that's something we've all probably partaked in a little bit. With the presence of enemies of Christ and the trials that they bring, is a way in which we are being made stronger as suffering and persecution tends to strengthen and purify the church. As believers, we need to grow in faith, lear- learning to lean on the Lord, and we need to learn to grow in grace. Our efforts to identify terrors among us will also result in an atmosphere of constant scrutiny and will create a culture of judgment. Often we will, make mis- we will misjudge a true believer to be a false believer and destroy the faith or testimony of the true believer thinking they are false. What, what I was trying to say there is that, you know, too often we, we try to think about, you know, was this person really a believer or is he just walking through the, going through the motions and they are, they, you know, are they really a believer? I mean, kind of ask the question, does a tear know they're a tear? Right? Does a tear, th- a tear may think it's a wheat. It's sitting in a wheat field. It, it's, it moves through the wind just like the wheat. It drinks the water just like the wheat. It's planted in the same soil as the wheat, but when they mature, they're not bearing fruit. And sometimes you know, when we, we attack others, you know, we don't give them an opportunity to bear fruit. So that's just a something to think about. For safety and sake of the true believer, Jesus taught us not to judge, not to scrutinize one each other, and to allow him to sort out on the day of judgment. This lesson is from... This lesson from this parable is true to the teachings of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not lest ye be judged. And the writings of Paul in Romans 14.4, Who are you to judge someone else's servant to their own master? Servant stand for or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. The wheat is gathered in the barns. This is a picture of the, the sage being gathered and taken into God's eternal kingdom. The tears are gathered and burned in a picture of eternal condemnation in hell. When I read the Lord's interpretation of the, this part of the parable, it, it motivates me to check my faith. Make sure my faith is true to the gospel, and it should do the same uh, for all of us. And last, there's, there's a message of hope. And then in that day, um, when the wheat and tares are separated, the righteous shall shine forth in the sun in the kingdom of their father. The day is coming when the Lord will glorify us and will give us the eternal blessing that he has promised. We all are familiar with this promise, the promise of being with the Lord in the kingdom. But it, it, it is not going to be, a, you know, it's not going to be a nice ride. We're in this world, and this world's sinful, and we know that. We're going to have a roller coaster ride of hills and valleys. Let's move on to the, the parable of the mustard seed, and this is in Matthew 13, 31 to 32. So yeah, I'm jumping back a little bit, but I just wanted, I, I like to keep the, the, the parable of the uh, tares together. But 31, 32, an, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, 
which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. This reminds me a lot of the, the unseen in our communities. When I see unseen, and I'm not talking about people that are invisible to us or anything, but I think it's something that we willfully do in our own minds. Those that are struggling and living in sin, uh, people that are you know, uh, chained by drugs and other types of addictions, and we have a tendency to look over them or look past them. But what you find is when one of those people that have those struggle and they show a mustard seed of faith and they turn to the Lord and they turn that over to the Lord, what you get is a beautiful walk and a powerful testimony. And that's not to say that you have to have some severe addiction to be, have a powerful testimony. I, mean, I can think of a, a young man that, to, that I met when I was in, um, went to my first men's conference. And I was talking about the word, and he was motivating me. It was my first men's conference. I knew he was younger than me. I didn't know how much younger with me was with me. And then he you know, was sharing the gospel. He had stuff memorized. And I was like, oh, this, this, kid's, this young man's got it figured out. And you know, I kind of looked up to him. And I was telling my, my oldest son about, about this young man. He goes, oh, I know him. He's, he's a senior in high school. I was like, what? But that was a powerful testimony. You know, and he, had a, he lived in a Christian household, and he didn't have to sin and have, to have some great trial, you know. You can, well, my point is you can, you can have a great testimony. So I'm saying don't look for an addiction to have a great testimony. <laughs> Be in the word. <laughs> so, but, you know, the, the, you know, the fruit will, you know, will, will show it. God's going to take the smallest and weakest of things to glorify him. In 1 Corinthians 1, 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put shame to the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Do not underestimate any small thing of the, w- the Lord. It will all be used to his glory and his timing. And then the, we have a, the twin, uh, it's called the twin um, parable, and that's the, the leaven of the bread next, or the parable leaven, and that's uh, Matthew 13 through 30, 1333. Let's read that. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. The kingdom of God may have small beginnings, but it will increase. Just like the parable of the mustard seed, yeast is microscopic in size and only a little is needed into the dough. Yet give it time, the yeast will spread through all the dough. In the same way, Jesus' domain started with 12 men in an obscure corner of Galilee, but has spread throughout the world. The gospel makes its progress. An, an example, I, the wonderful example I have and I've seen in my life, and I've shared this a couple times, um, so I'm sorry if you heard it before, but you know, I, I think of a young man that was in his younger 20s and he was walking across, a, a, um, this is a story he shared with me, walking across a grocery store parking lot and an elderly woman shared the gospel. Maybe in the, like the first or second time she'd ever sh- shared the gospel. Tall, skinny kid, un- you know, uncomfortable with his body, caught up in the world. He turned to the Lord. He later became a pastor. He later started a church, and that was Calvary Chapel Joshua Springs. That is now a huge church that has a K-12 through school. His name is Pastor Gerald Hagerman. Started a Calvary Bible Institute. And last I checked, I, was, I thought it was only seven campuses, and now it's 13 campuses throughout the world, including CBI, Turahilo, Peru. 
small things. Use the Lord uses small things. People that we may think that we may overlook. I mean, the w- young men, I think, are some of the things that we, a lot of us like to keep one-armed citizens because they're usually brash and a lot of tr- associated with a lot of trouble. But a little bit of faith. The, God, the Lord uses the small things of this world to do great things. And just like the, the leaven making the bread uh, rise and spread, that's what, how the Lord will use believers. The kingdom of God exerts its influence from within, not from without. Yeast makes dough rise from within. God first changes the heart of a person, and the internal change has an external manifestation. The gospel influences in culture work the same way. Christians within a culture act as agents of change, slowly transforming that culture from within. The effect of the kingdom of God will be comprehensive. Just like yeast works until a dough is completely risen, the ultimate benefit of the kingdom of God will be worldwide. Um, Habakkuk 2.14 reads, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And when, and when I read that, that, that verse, I, I'm, I'm right, Cassandra actually has a, a sourdough I call science project at our house, and she feeds it like it's a pet, and then there's a mess on the counter. I mean, it's just the first couple times we were doing that and making sourdough bread, it was like we, we didn't, we underestimated its ability to leaven and, and rise, and we would come, and the lid would be off, and it'd be covered the whole island of the counter. I'm like, are we done yet with this experiment? But no, now we have lots and lots of bread constantly, so we have to make bread because if we don't, well, there'll be a mess. But um, lots of fun. On, I, I digress. The kingdom of God works invisibly, but its effect is evident to all. Yeast does its job slowly, secretly, and silently, but no one can deny its effects on the bread. The same is true with the work of grace in our hearts. The nature of yeast is to grow and to change whatever it contacts. When we accept Christ, his gro- grace grows in our hearts and changes us from the inside out. As the gospel transforms lives, its influence in the world at large. In First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians 3.18 reads, As we reflect on the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his likeness with every increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And in Matthew 13, 34 through 35 reads, All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude, and parables and without parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundations of the world. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these to speak to crowds. He did this because he loved us. And I, I hope I illustrated that at the beginning. I, I'm pretty sure everybody's well aware that Jesus loves us. But he, he really did love everybody. It was very important that everyone understand him. Everyone. He didn't want to be like the Pharisees that was just you know trying to speak in, in, in uh, jargon and, and use words that the, the commoner wouldn't understand. That's why Jesus spoke in the, one of the most common, uh, used a lot of the examples that were from agriculture because that's what most people were involved in. Jesus loved everybody, and he wanted everyone to understand it. He never spoke to them without using parables. Jesus' stories, or parables, were windows into God's truth. They revealed to those following Jesus, his disciples, and conceal from those not seeking the truth, God or the kingdom. This is something else I think some people have struggled with to understand is 
God teaches in parables because the people that don't want it, don't have the heart to believe, won't understand it. What are you, t- what are you talking about wheat? What are you talking about leaven? I'm making bread. I mean, if you if you don't have the heart to understand it, if you don't you don't have the heart for the Lord, you're not going to understand it. And that is a, it's another you know a, another angle that we need to look at and consider why Jesus taught in parables. For those that wanted to learn, they understood better. For those that had, didn't have the heart to learn, they didn't understand it. And onto the parable of the tr- hidden treasure, in thirteen forty four. I'm s- yes, I'm skipping some. That was the explanation of uh, the tares. So we're down at 13.44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells at the, sells all that he has and buys that field. Christ's message is that the kingdom of heaven is worthy of trading everything a person owns in order to, in, in order to come possession of it. Jesus will similarly point to this in a larger, and later again in Matthew uh, 19, 21-23, and it reads, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow, come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had a great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is harder for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's important to remember um, this part, the part in 44, for the joy over it, he goes. That's how we pursue the Lord. That's how we pursue his kingdom, for the joy of it. Not begrudgingly, joy motivates the man, not happiness. And where do we find our joy? We find our joy in the Lord. And then, um, so we have the parable of the hidden treasure. Now we have the pr- uh, parable of the pearl of, of a great price. And these two, th- again, Jesus often did this. He would he matches up is another twin, what they call a twin parable. So the parable of the, of the pearl, and that's Matthew, Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had w- found one pearl of a great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Notice the merchant stopped seeking pearls when he found the, the pearl of a great price. Internal life and the love of God through Christ are the pearl. Once found, makes further searching unnecessary. Christ fulfills our greatest needs and satisfies our longings and makes us whole and clean before God. Calms our hearts and gives us hope for the future. The great price is what was paid by Christ for our redemption. He emptied himself of his glory and came to the earth in the form of a lonely, ma- a lowly man and shed his precious blood on the cross for the penalty of our sins. And we're going to be talking about that next su- Sunday, about the child being born on this earth, God leaving his kingdom, leaving the glory, and being and come down to the struggle of planet earth and to, to live among us and to share the truth and die on, die on the cross for our sins. And then the, the next is uh, in 47 through 52, we have the parable of the dragnet in Matthew 13, 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? 
And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said, Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Um, this, this parable is like the, the parable of the wheat and tares in that both parables concern the end times, sorting and, and aided by the, the angels. When believers will be separated from unbelievers uh, once and for all, this will also be told to the, this is also only told to the disciples. Um, Jesus only had the audience of the disciples when he, when he spoke this. And, and, and something with remember, if you're, I'm not a fisherman, but I understand the concept of drag netting. Drag netting is an indiscriminate way of fishing. It's just you cast a huge nets out, you know, and, and um, there's great law. There's a lot of laws on how big these nets are, but they just scrape up the bottom of the ocean and just try to wall screen everything again, catching any and everything they possibly can. Um, and, and most things they don't need. So it's, it's an indiscriminate way of fishing. Just as the net was cast in the sea, drawing many fish, the gospel message is spread into the world, drawing many people to it. And just as the net gathered all types of fish, regardless of their value, so the gospel attracts many people who neither repent nor desire to follow Christ. Just as the fish could not be sorted until he was, until the net was pulled ashore, so false believers masquerading as true Christians will be known until the end of the age. These bad fish or false believers can be likened to the rocky soil or the, th- the thorny soil. As in Matthew 7, 22-23, they claim to have a relationship with Jesus, saying, Lord, Lord, and Jesus will reply, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's a sobering main point. A day of reckoning will come where God will separate the true believers from pretenders, and those found to be false will be cast into hell. I think that there's something to be said when we're talking about the tares and, and the wheat and we're talking about the good fish and the bad fish. I, I think we spend too much time in our own personal walk worrying about who is doing it and not doing it. I mean, if somebody's professing the, you know, professing Christ and their doctrine sound and their, and their word, I mean, you really can't, you know, beyond too much. You need to leave that up to the Lord. You know, there's too many people out here. There's too many fish out here. There's too many sheep out there that are not. And there's too many f- people for us to that we actually need to be sharing the gospel with. We need to leave it to the Lord. I think that's really hard to do in our flesh to, 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 to not retaliate or not have the last word. God's going to have the last word, and we need to remember that. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they w- were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers James, uh, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Jesus is just uh, fresh off preaching and, uh, and preaching and healing and, you know, you know, not that Jesus was concerned about his, his status, but he's just you know, right off the heels of this, uh, this big uh, campaign to you know, share the gospel and heal everybody. 
Um, he's returned to Nazareth, and in, after an absence of many months, he, he left a commoner and returns basically a celebrity. On the Sabbath, he is invited to read from the sacred scrolls and comment on the text. Uh, Nazareth would have seen, would see what kind of teacher he had become. And Jesus read from Isaiah 61 through 5, and I wanted to read part of that here with you. Um, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and read it for you. This, and this is what he read. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom of the captives and release the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for display for his splendor. The congregation's quickness to pigeonhole Jesus as Joseph's son shows that what Jesus was, what they thought Jesus was, and he was just a member of a Nazareth family, and they may have been thinking that of a scandalous event between his father and his mother and the nature of his, his conception and birth. Um, you know, you can only imagine, I mean, none of us are from small towns and small communities, how, how word spreads like wildfire and gets out of control. So I can, you can only imagine uh, what was the conversations there, and here he is speaking truth. And often truth, you know, coming from him and not from, uh, you know, somebody that's extra-religious, so to speak, was offensive. But Jesus, wa- Jesus made um, his reasons clear for why he came. He, he wanted to bring good tidings to the humble, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, and to open the eyes of those who are bound. The gospel has nothing to do with feel-good doctrines, and that's important for us to remember. It has nothing to do with feel-good doctrines. Sometimes we get bad news. Sometimes we go through trials. And it's, if we're looking to the Lord, it'll be for his glory. Sin and acknowledging that Jesus is the only way to be healed and made right with God. Excuse me, recognizing our sin and acknowledging that Jesus is the only way to be healed and made right with God. Once you do that, everything else will fall into place. We need to be focusing all of our attention on the Lord. We're in a, we're in a trial, we need not focus on the sins of others. When we're in a trial, we need to be focusing on the Lord. When we see falsehoods, we need to be focusing on the truth. We need to be, and when we're feeling hated and attacked, we need to be focused on his love, the love of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, just, uh, we thank you for your word, Lord. Um, we know you are the almighty king, and you are all-powerful, uh, all and, and you can do anything within your will, Lord. And yet you humbled yourself, put yourself in a form of a man, and, and spoke at our level, Lord. You spoke in parables and stories in, w- in a way that we could understand, Lord, because it's important for us to join you in the kingdom because you love us, Lord. My prayer for each and every person here tonight, or the, this morning, Lord, is that we all remember that, Lord. So I pray that each one of us takes time in, in, in prayer and reflection and, and, and to spend time in your word and in fellowship, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we give all things to you and your glory. In your name we pray, amen.